Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. afternoon and good evening and welcome to another episode of undying light i am your host as always alex and we are continuing our plunge through the book of revelation today we are going to look at uh, all of chapter eight that's it just chapter eight today next week it will be chapters nine and ten and then uh, the following week it will be chapter eleven so this these next three weeks, um, basically starting with today, is a new series, um, a new section, a new time frame. We'll talk a little bit about that here in the show. Uh, we're going to look at the silence in heaven, and then we're going to talk about the seals, bulls, and trumpets. We're going to look at these seven angels and the golden censer. Uh, we're going to be talking about the four trumpets, the trumpets of the Lord, and uh, the trumpet summoning, things like that today. So we've got our hands full. There's a lot of content in these next few chapters. And so we are going to dig into it here very shortly and look at what John is writing. So again, if you have not listened to these episodes, go back to the first episode, Revelation 1, and read, read, uh, listen to that show uh, because we we did a lot of content, there was a lot going on there, and we had um, we had just a ton of stuff that kind of sets up for the rest of this series, and we occasionally revisit that particular episode, some of the stuff that we talk about uh, as we are walking ourselves through this content, because it all kind of works, um, it works together, it all builds. A, upon itself. These aren't segregated chapters. These aren't um, separate things. These all have one cohesive message that is being brought forward. And so that is how we're trying to unpack this book. And we're trying to look at it from you know a particular viewpoint. There are 
many, many different views that you can uh, take the book of Revelation as we've talked about them throughout this series on eschatology. And we, I just find that if we were to say, take it at like a dispy, a dispensationalist, uh, premillennialist approach, we would have a very different setup to the way this show has been going. And, and I, you know, as we have unpacked it, I don't really think that does this book justice. And I don't think it really uh, exegetes the text properly. Now, I have a couple of really good friends who are historical premillennialist and um, and I think I've tried to <laughs> challenge them a little bit by doing some more research on this particular book. My goal, and I know who you are, you know who you are. My goal for you is to become an amillennialist like me eventually. Obviously, that is not my intentions through this show, but through our side conversations. This, the premise to this show is to simply uh, show you the text and um, and just exegete it and walk through it, talk about what is going on here. Do some of these things make sense? You know, what do other sources talk about? Um, what do some of these study Bibles, how do they depict things like that? You know, I love study Bibles, but we have to be very careful if we just pick one and stick to it because we're getting a very narrow view of scripture then. So for instance, like on my screen now, I have three study Bibles open and I kind of will peruse through them and talk about them throughout the show as I find the content to be uh, relevant to what we're actually discussing. So I encourage you to have more than one in your arsenal. Um, I have many upstairs. I have an ESV study Bible, a, Ref, a Reformation study Bible, the MacArthur study Bible. I have, uh, what else do I've got? I've got a Lutheran study Bible, which I really like. And then I've got an archaeology study Bible. Uh, and I think I have one or two more. So I try to get my hands wet um, in regards to all of the different views and even still they're not, you know, we're not getting the entire picture because there is so much more. And that's why commentaries and books written by authors throughout history are helpful. So, you know, when we study a particular subject, it pays to look at different views. It pays to look at countering views uh, so that way we can understand and and see, you know, do my arguments hold water? You know, do do I do I really believe what I'm reading to be true? Because this particular view is contradictory to mine. So, you know, and as we've explored through this eschatology series, we've seen that these four major views really go head to head, and they have some overlapping, but they really um, they really have this kind of backing by many people on the internet that my view is the right view. If you don't believe it, then you're obviously wrong. And it gets, it really gets into some really messy waters. And I don't think that's really the right manner to how we should be understanding eschatology. This is basically the, the uh, premise that I would leave you at. And this is where we, I think started way, way back in, in August of last year that we can all agree upon one thing. And that is Jesus will return. The events leading up to that are secondary topics the events surrounding that, how it happens, probably not really necessary to, you know, be completely right on. We see what scripture tells us. Um, but we as Christians should all believe 
that Christ will return. And if you don't believe that, then I don't know why you're a Christian. I just find that to be kind of a fundamental piece to our, you know, to, to, to the walk in life of a Christian, that Christ will return. But all of these other things that we're talking about really are kind of secondary in their nature. And so it's, it, I think it's nice to walk through this text and try to unpack it. But I don't think it's necessary that, you know, we declare a single winner at the end of the day. Um, so that's kind of my spiel on setting yourself up for success when you're reading eschatology and this book of Revelation, because there is a ton of stuff in here. Uh, a couple quick announcements before we dig into the material of the show. Um, first, I've got kind of something that's been rolling around in the back of my head. Um, and uh, I've got a couple listeners which have messaged me and I thought it was kind of interesting, um, their, their thoughts. And this was even before I told them this, um, I guess my voice can sometimes be soothing. I don't know if that's the right word. Uh, relaxing maybe can put you to sleep. I'm not offended by that. I think that's actually interesting, um, because I have a problem sometimes sleeping. And so I have to listen to music or a sleep podcast. And so that kind of gave me this idea that wouldn't it be kind of neat to have a podcast dedicated solely to reading of scripture and helping you fall asleep. And so I've kind of in the back of my head thinking about this over the weekend and I've talked to my wife and she thinks it's a great idea. So I'm going to start building some content and we're going to do a new show, uh, probably later this summer. And I'm going to read the entire Bible and I'm going to do it nice and slow and I'm going to help you fall asleep if you have sleep problems. And if maybe if you don't and you just want to listen to that smooth jazz voice, then by all means, dig into it. We're going to just go through it and help you read the Bible. And uh, I think it'll be great for me because uh, I haven't read the whole Bible in a couple of months. Um, It's actually probably been longer than that now. Um, and, and I'm looking for, this would be a great reason to, uh, read the whole Bible again. So that'll be a side project I'm going to work on. Um, and we're going to probably do it in short snippets. So it'll take a while to get through it. And I think it's going to, uh, it'll be fun. So kind of one of those things that I'm looking at. The second thing is, uh, if you have ever used this website or I don't know if it's an app, I think it's just a website, but a platform called Fiverr. I'm thinking about getting on there and uh, setting myself up to do like voiceover and uh, for like commercials, internet things, all that kind of jazz, Um, because you can basically, you know, sell your skills and I feel like I can talk and I've got all the equipment for it. So I might as well do that. And uh, so if you have need of a voiceover or anybody who um, could use, you know, a, a male voice for something. I'm going to be present. So kind of something unique. I have used it actually when I bought some Undying Light stickers. uh, And I thought that was a really good service, very quick. And it was easy to interact with people. And uh, the service, the turnaround time was phenomenal. So I figured it's a good platform. It's pretty reputable. Um, The Bible Dingers actually used it for their Patreons uh, when they bought uh, stickers. So that's where I was kind of pointed to from them. So Shout out to the Bible Dingers if you are not a patron of them or support their ministry or if you listen to one of their shows. They do a great job giving you a uh, kind of oversight of the Bible. They're walking right now through the New Testament. So 
And then they get side projects in there. They'll do interviews and stuff like that with some prominent people in the industry. So go check them out. They're a great show. And obviously, you know, as I mentioned, every time we do a show, we are listener supported. And the way we fund the show is through listeners like you. So you can come alongside us on Patreon. And for a dollar a month, you can get in and support this show and get in on some awesome content and phenomenal groups of people that we have on discord and instagram and uh it's been an amazing ride these last 12 months that we've really put an emphasis on it and uh, we've built a fantastic community and i i think uh, i pray that a lot of these individuals will be longtime members of this group they are phenomenal people and i love them each dearly uh, we just gave away a premium creeds and confessions bible and a uh, the five solas book stack to two lucky winners. When we reach our 75 Patreon mile marker, we're going to give away a commentary. Um, I've got a couple in mind, but we're going to do a whole commentary set. So or the whole Bible or possibly just New Testament, depending on where we fall with things. Uh, and then when we get to 100, I'm going to try to get a couple copies of Logos Bible software and we're going to give those away. So big things coming along for Undying Light and bigger things for the Patreons because we do a lot of stuff to give back to that community. And not only that, but they get easy easy and early access to everything. They're going to get a video recording of this show. They will have show notes when I write them. They get uh, sermon notes sent to them. They get uh, other little um, inputs and things like that that we do. Right now, I'm not really writing a ton, but uh, come June, we're going to start going through a book in the New Testament, and I will be kind of writing some commentaries, my thoughts, kind of working verse by verse or section of verses, similar to what I did on Romans for the Reformed Lifestyle page last year. We're going to do that, and that'll be exclusive for Patreon only. So a dollar a month gets you access to all that. I don't, I don't have tiers I don't ask for you to give more to get more access dollar a month. And I give you everything I do. You get access to literally everything. So I, it's a, a phenomenal trade-off in my opinion for a dollar. Because again, for me, it's not about the money. Um, it, it helps pay for the show and takes care of all the equipment. And uh, But it's for the community. And it's for me to have people who want to come alongside me and in uh, this ministry on this journey as we continue to share Christ with as many people as we can. So enough me babbling. Let's get into the show, guys. We have a ton of content that we need to get through. Get my drink of water and uh, let's get into it. So we're going to start here in the eighth chapter. And that is our focus today is just these uh, 13 verses. So let's see if we can do it in under an hour that would be a record. Probably not. I think last week we were right at an hour. So let's go. When the lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God and the seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer. And he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire 
from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. We're going to stop right there. We're going to look at the uh, this little this little block. We're going to get into uh, chapter eight here. So we're going to kind of set this context up for you. The angels putting on the drama of Revelation pause for a moment of silence. Think about that. All of the we we just finished chapter seven last week. We had this wonderful. Uh, singing and praising of God, and John gets to witness this new song uh, sung out, and so heaven is praising and singing glory to Christ and to God. And then we get to the seventh seal, and there's silence for 30 minutes, roughly. It says for about half an hour, so it could be 28 minutes, going to be 30 minutes. That, you know, time itself is irrelevant, but there's silence in heaven. So chapters 1 through 3 present the glory of Christ as Lord of his church. And through these seven letters uh, expressed the governing principles for the church of, uh, of this age. Right? Now we get into ver- uh, chapters 4 through 7 presented a view of history focused on the opening of the seven seals on God's scroll. After the visions of heaven in chapters 4 and 5, the seals were then opened in chapter 6 and released tribulations in history out of which the redeemed are saved. And so we we, we talked about this um, the last couple of episodes that these don't fall into place in the idea of like a seven year tribulation, because there's no, there's no context to it. We would have to go and try to proof text and squeeze things into the text that if we were to read this at face value, just don't frankly exist. And so what we can try to understand is that these events, these, these seals being broken happen over the course of human history. Chapter seven shows the restraining of judgment in the sealing of the saints so that they would arrive safely in heaven. The final judgment uh, that begins in the sixth seal is paused by the opening of the seventh seal and the silence of heaven. Chapter 8 begins the third major section in the book of Revelation. So uh, chapters 1 through 7 are two sections, and now we are in our third which we have after this four more to go. So we have uh, a lot left in the book of Revelation to, to tackle. After the symbolic histories of the fourth ch- section, chapters 12 through 14, the fifth section will re- feature seven bulls of God's judgment. So these are things that we will encounter coming up. So here we see seven trumpets that herald God's judgment, and then we will have uh, symbolic histories in the fourth section, which will be chapters 12 through 14, as I just mentioned. And then in chapters 15 and 16, coming up in a few weeks, the fifth section will feature the seven bulls. It is obvious that there is a relationship between the seven seals, the trumpets, and the bulls. And before diving into this material, which makes up the heart of Revelation, we should understand how this relationship works. Now, some scholars hold the view that the seven seals are seven trumpets and seven bulls are organized uh, consecutively. 
they see a straight line chronological or chronological order here in Revelation uh, with the the seven seals followed chronologically by seven trumpets, which then are then followed by seven bulls. Under this view, the opening of the seventh seal uh, does not reveal any actual content. The scroll is opened only to show that the story moves forward onto the seven trumpets. Uh, there are good reasons to reject this view, of course. Uh, and instead of seeing various cycles as covering the same period uh, of complementary perspectives, the parallel content of these cycles is obvious, especially since the trumpets and the bulls line up almost exactly. However, or moreover, much of the of what happens when the trumpets are blown and the bulls are poured uh, are poured obviously precedes the final judgment of the sixth seal. For instance, when the angel blows the third trumpet, stars fall from heaven to poison the rivers. Under a strict chrono- chronological chronological order, this is impossible since under the sixth seal that we read in chapter 6, verse 13, all, quote, all of the stars of the sky, end quote, had already fallen to earth. Therefore, it is evident that the judgments of the trumpets and bulls take place, take place chronologically before the sixth seal, which occurs earlier in the text of Revelation. Understood rightly, the seventh seal, the seventh trumpet, and the seventh bull all depict aspects of the same event. The return of Christ in wrath and salvation. So there's these three major events that we will come across in the book of Revelation. We've already talked about one of them over the last couple of episodes. That is the scroll, the breaking of the seals. Now we will be talking about the trumpets and then we will be talking about bulls later on. And so what we're trying to understand is how do these place into the timeline of human history? Do they all happen after the sixth seal is broken? Do they happen concurrently going forward? Or are they uh, events that are all happening chronologically, but they happen before that sixth seal is broken? So these are just some arguments that we should understand when we're trying to read this book, because again, reading a book cover to cover from left to right, top to bottom. And in this particular order, it can be difficult to try and put the pieces of what the book of revelation is telling us. Again, this is not an easy book to read and it is certainly hard to understand. And for those who aren't, theologians who study this stuff for years and I'm not talking 10 years I'm talking pour out their life Uh, I think I'd mentioned on a previous episode with the book of Ezekiel that there was a rabbi who had spent his entire life studying the book and couldn't still not understand it And, and it took really until John wrote Revelation for us to understand this the book of Ezekiel because the fulfillments of that book are shown to us in the book of Revelation. And so it pays to, again, as I had mentioned earlier in today's show, it pays to understand different views. It helps us to grab more than one commentary, more than one study Bible, more than one particular view. If I'm a premillennialist, then I want to look at what postmillennialist and the amillennialist are saying about this. 
because I want to understand how these things and these events are happening so I can just have a under, better understanding. You know, it doesn't mean that, you know, I'm right or, 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 you know, the other team is right. It's not about being right or wrong. It's so I feel comfortable in my conscience that I can articulate my beliefs. And I can look back and say, wow, you know, these, these bulls, these trumpets and these, these seals, they all seem to kind of have events that really work alongside each other. And then they all kind of point us to the great seventh event, and that is the return of Christ. So even a brief survey makes it clear then that the seals, uh, that the cycles of seals, trumpets, and bulls are parallel representations of similar scenes of judgment. This reminds us not to read Revelation like a book uh, of the future, right? That's kind of what I'm trying to advocate here for us. We would do better to read it as a play, actually a musical, interesting, uh, put on by the angels of heaven for our benefit. With its different scenes showing us important features of history from heaven's perspective. Now, remember, I've talked about it a few times throughout this series. I don't know if it necessarily here in the book of Revelation, but I've talked about how God exists. And, you know, we talked about it in the attributes of uh, time or attributes of God series. That God exists outside of our understanding of time and history. Uh, time does not affect God. And so God looks down upon us existing all at one time. He knows the beginning and the ends. He knows all of the events that will happen in the middle of it. And he can, you know, and, and, and I think that's why sometimes reading this particular book, because we're getting perspectives from heaven. We're seeing these events from heaven's perspective in such a short, brief span that John is there. And somehow we're trying to understand how they can play out over 2,000 or more years. Because as I record this episode, Christ is still yet to return. And I would venture to say that if you listen to this episode, that is still holding true. And so we can continue moving this timeline forward each day that Christ doesn't return. However, we've talked about how some of these events, the horsemen and things like that, have potentially already been in the world. They're already here. They've already been here. John in his letters tell us that the Antichrist is already, the Antichrist spirit is already in the world causing disruption. I talked about that in my sermon on Sunday with counterfeit Christianity, that there's so many things masquerading and parading around as Christians when they're really not. And so we know that there is all of this evil happening in the world right now. And we know that Christians are being persecuted and they're being killed and martyred. And so when the seal's broken and the martyred, Christians are crying out, God, avenge us, Christ, avenge us. We see that. And we know that these people are being added to on a daily basis. So it's, it's, it's important for us to put the, the framing into our minds when we listen to this. And again, I, I, I try to make this as simple as possible because this is hard material to understand. And so... I, you know, I've had a few people that have like, I've had to listen to these episodes a couple of times because they're, they're just, they're deep and, and rightly so they're, we have not uncovered biblical scripture that is any deeper than the book of revelation. It was easier for us to walk through the teachings of Christ because he's literally telling us what's happening in that context. But here we don't, we don't have that clear depiction. There's a lot of imagery being used. And, you know, we talked about how the different styles of language that John uses here in this book are incorporated in various readings. And so 
it pays for us to slow down and pay attention and take this section by section. So, as I mentioned, it would be better for us to read it as a play or even a musical put on by the angels of heaven for our benefit, with different scenes showing us these different uh, features from the history uh, of humans of human history from the uh, heaven's perspective. Or we could even think of Revelation really as a symphony, uh, with its uh, main melody of judgment and salvation working through each movement. There are variations of the melody within the various cycles reflecting different materials of the Old Testament from which John is drawing. Because in John 7, he alludes to the sealing of the faithful servants uh, depicted back in Ezekiel 9. The judgment can, uh, the trumpet judgments in chapter eight will reminisce the, on the fall of Jericho and the plagues inflicted on Egypt in the book of Exodus. So we have a lot of imagery being used a lot. John calls a lot back here to old Testament and, and gives us these illustrations of what is really going on. Uh, so let's look here at the text that kind of sets us up to where we're going to be here. Uh, I'm going to get into a couple notes real quick for us. And then we will just kind of walk ourselves through what uh, John is writing here in chapter 8. And so we have this silence, if you would, that starts really right off the bat. Uh, the silence might seem anticlimactic. However, Jews at this time expected just a, such a silence in the heavens before God ushered in the new creation. Uh, it's echoed in... Uh, some of the extra Jewish writings, um, this pseudo paragraphal, I can't pronounce that word. It's like Jewish writings, um, <laughs> stuff that we won't have in our Bible. But if you have, you know, some of the older Jewish scriptures, or I think even maybe some of the Catholics, uh, have these, uh, uh be second estras. I don't know if I'm even pronouncing that correct. Um, this glorious revelation of the new heavens and new earth must wait, however, as John transitions to another scene about the end of times. So now we're getting to the seven trumpets. So as I mentioned, and, and my notes have pointed us to that, that really could be a musical, right? We've got all of the singing and praising going on in the early chapters in the book of Revelation. And now we're getting to some of the climax and the stories here. Um, and we're, we, we have this silence and it's always, I've always found it to be quite interesting. And, and sadly we don't get a lot that, um, you know, really point us to a, a clear answer. They just kind of talk about what potentially could be, you know, happening here. And so, uh, pointing towards a couple of my study Bibles. And like, for instance, here in the uh, ESV study Bible 8.1, it says an interlude promising the sealing of God's uh, and safety of God's servants back from chapter seven has delayed the opening of the final seal. The silence in heaven that ushers when the lamb breaks the seventh seal further sustains the suspense. Yet, yet God's patience and delaying judgment should not be mistaken for indifferent uh, slowness. So this brief uh, period of silence, about a half hour, displaces ceaseless praising from by the living creatures, the angels and the elders, and the church triumphant. Silence is appropriate in anticipation for the Lord's coming judgment. So there's this kind of um, 
idea within some of the Jewish circles, and and rightly so within even Christian circles, that the moment that Christ will shatter the heavens, there will be like everything will literally stop. And I and I'm sure you've seen these YouTube videos, you know. They're trying to depict Christ returning. Are you ready? Are you prepared? The rapture's coming, yada, yada, yada. And they will always kind of frame it with this, you know, like the wind stops blowing, everything kind of freezes, the trees stop moving, there's no animals moving. And that's their, you know, quote unquote depiction of silence. When, you know, again, we don't know how long 30 minutes or a half hour is in heaven. Could it be hours, days here on earth? Could it be just 30 minutes? Here on earth, you know, we don't know. But I think what we're getting into is um, this, the the breaking of that seal and the ushering in um, takes us to this, uh, the return of Christ. And so we get a couple more things here in these verses that kind of shine out to us. Verses three and four here, this altar, uh, the Jerusalem temple had a similar altar in which incenses were offered, and that is told to us in First Chronicles chapter 28. The prayers of the saints here, uh, back in Revelation 6, uh, the saints martyred are depicted as praying for vindication. Here, however, John identifies the intercessors as God's people both on heaven and earth. So these prayers, while we had some saints earlier in chapter 6, these prayers here aren't necessarily being uh, shown as just those in heaven, but these are all of the prayers of God's people. And, you know, then we have the angel here in verse five, the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning and an earthquake. That's substantial. So this signifies the seven angels to begin blowing their trumpet. Now we, we don't know if, the the you know filling it with fire and then throwing that on earth if that's you know the storm that seems to follow here with the the thunder and the lightning and an earthquake it seems like it would be because that's kind of how the text is reading if we take it at a literal interpretation there's really no other reason why we couldn't at, in this particular text so after finishing his vision of the seven seals being broken, John transitions into another vision, which depicts the end times uh, with successful trumpet blasts. These visions are frightful since we all know in our hearts that we cannot stand before God in judgment. Fortunately, we have the one who stands beside us as our advocate, Jesus Christ, as he was the one celebrated in the earlier chapters four and five. So John is getting ready here to transition into another set. We are going to look at these seven um, trumpets now being blasted as we continue our walk through Revelation. So let's read this, uh, read the rest here, 6 through 13. Now the seven angels who had seven trumpets prepared to blow them. The first angel blew his trumpet and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood And these were thrown upon the earth, and a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all of the grass was burned up. The second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. 
The third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star was Wormwood, and the third of the waters became Wormwood, and many people died from the water because it had become bitter. The fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of the light might be darkened, and a third of the day might be kept from shining, otherwise, and likewise a third of the night. And then I heard, and then I looked and I heard an angel crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead, woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on earth at the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. I'm going to let that silence sit there for a second. That's incredible. Absolutely astonishing. Absolutely astonishing. Just, it, it just really gets me. Because we look at this text, this isn't easy. It's, it's not easy to, to read it. It's not easy to exegete it. And it's not easy to, as a Christian, to say this is, this is coming. This is the coming judgment of God upon this earth. And I'm going to tell you this as a warning. This hippie Jesus that has infiltrated the progressive Christianity, you're, you're fake. It's a fake Jesus. This quote-unquote God is always love from a lot of these progressive Christians. You worship a fake God. If your God is not equally wrathful as he is loving, you serve an idol. And it's astonishing how quickly people brush off this text because it makes them uncomfortable. And I'll tell you what, I don't care if it makes you uncomfortable. This is the word of God. This is the word of God. These seven trumpets are, the, the, in my opinion, these are more frightening than the seals. You know, hail and fire, doable. I've been in hailstorms. We deal with firestorms all the time here in the United States and around the world. Oh, but it's mixed with blood and these were thrown on, onto the earth. Oh, okay. Oh, and then a third of the earth was burned up, a third of the trees, and all the grass. I, and then the second angel, uh, like a great mountain, is thrown to earth. And this third of the creatures in the sea die because a third of the sea becomes like blood. I'm, not, I'm sorry, not like blood, but becomes blood. And a third of the ships are destroyed. Oh, it gets it, it gets worse here because now this third angel blows this trumpet and the great star from heaven blazing like a torch falls onto the rivers and the springs of the water. The star's name is Wormwood. And many people die from it because they drank the water. And then we have darkness in the fourth trumpet. Frightening stuff frightening stuff 
So when the tribes of Israel emerge out of the Exodus wilderness to claim the promised land, the trumpets of holy war are sounded. God had instructed that seven priests were to blow seven trumpets for seven days. On the final day, the priests were to lead the people around a fortress city of Jericho seven times. When the seventh trumpet blew, the people were to shout and the, and the wall and fall upon the city, as noted in Joshua chapter 6. Led by Joshua with the Ark of the Covenant, Israel obeyed God's word. When the seventh or when the seven trumpets blew after the seventh time around the city on the seventh day, the walls of Jericho fell down and the city was taken. Joshua had told the people, shout for the Lord has given you the city. When Revelation 8, 6 launches this third cycle of visions and the angels blowing seven trumpets, the student of the Bible looks for an intervention from God on a scale greater than that of Jericho's fall. The trumpet visions in Revelation 8 and 9 take on a worldwide scale, showing that worldly cities, for all its might, will not bar God's covenant people from the victory of their faith. Christ will strike the fortress citadel of sin and unbelief so that it falls in terrible judgment. Just as he once declared to Peter, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So let's get into this text because as I mentioned, it's frightening, but we have to understand it and we need to exegete it better so that way you can understand it better. Trumpets of the Lord in the Bible, trumpets are blown for a variety of reasons. We've just talked about the story of Jericho. Great reason there. Uh, they're sounded as a call of people to, uh, to God to assemble for an important occasion. Uh, the feasts of Israel were hailed with the blast of trumpets or as a holy convocation. As Levit Leviticus 23 tells us, trumpets hailed Solomon's ascension to David's throne, as 1 Kings tells us. And according to the New Testament, a trumpet blast would herald the second coming of Christ, summoning the elect to join him from all over the earth. We talked about this when we went through the Olivet Discourse, and we talked about it a number of times since. Trumpets are sounded in, old, in the Old Testament to gather Israel's host for battle, and so on and so forth. There's a lot of trumpets. And so it does not... Or it should not be shocking to see that a trumpet blast is being used to signify something significant coming from heaven here. So we have this clear parallel being drawn for us uh, that these trumpets are blasted in Revelation 8. The horsemen and the four seals open in chapter 6. Uh, this, the four horsemen unleashed warfare, violence, famine, and death. And the first four trumpets, likewise, unleash devastating forces upon the earth. So remember, we talked about how these don't appear to really be separate instances, but they all seem to be happening chronologically together. So they all could be happening concurrently, together. Like the seal's broken, the horseman's unleashed, the trumpet's blasting, and mayhem is ensuing upon earth. And then likewise, another seal, another horseman unleashed, another trumpet blast, and so on and so forth. I don't think that is out of the question to, to hold as a view. I think that uh, follows right 
in line with what the book of Revelation is pointing us to. So how do we interpret these trumpet visions? So throughout our study here uh, in the book of Revelation, it's become important for us to carefully consider our approach to interpretation. It is obvious that throughout this book that the visions are not to be understood literally, but contain symbols that actually depict historical realities. And that's what we've been holding us ourselves to is that the horsemen aren't literal horsemen riding around slaughtering people, but they are revealed to themselves throughout history uh, in one capacity or another. And this becomes a virtually important, vitally important in these seven trumpets. Sadly, though, popular Christianity, uh, Christian literature tends to look at these events uh, very differently and they present some and they will present these uh, happening all within a very enclosed time frame. And they will actually uh, declare that these prophecies have been fulfilled in our times. An example would be Chernobyl uh, back in 86, 1986, for all you youngins out there, uh, when the nuclear plant in the Soviet Union exploded. Uh, prophecy experts soon started to cry out saying uh, that Chernobyl was the Ukrainian word for wormwood. This prophecy was being fulfilled right before our very eyes. The end was near. It was only a matter of time. And then they would go and just, you know, try to create a calendar and the end of the world is going to end, you know, in six, five years, whatever it is. But this is the problem when we get into interpretation. If when we try to align an event that happens on earth with something biblical that has certain connections and requirements and, 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 and a storyline to it, there has to be things that happen here in the Bible that we know of before we could declare an, an event on earth to be something biblical. And so we could see right away that this was just human mistake, it possibly, you know, with an event like Chernobyl or even, you know, today's coronavirus, whatever you want to attest it to. I think anytime we have substantial loss, I think it is a judgment of God upon this earth at one scale to another. I think Chernobyl could have easily been God's judgment um, in one particular area. Is it fair to say that? You be the judge. Oh, wait, we're not the judge. God's the judge. So that's not for us to judge. So good luck. Send me your hate mail. I appreciate it. Um, So when we understand, it, it pays us to not understand this to be all happening within a very linear time frame. It, we can't we have to understand this in a greater scale. And we have to understand the symbols behind it. Uh, when we find that we that what is symbolized literally happens in history throughout history, all, all the time, we, we see these events <laughs> unpacking themselves. Wars, nations falling, rising, wars and famine and chaos. I mean Within 20-some years, we had two world wars that went around the globe within 20 years of each other. I mean, seriously, people. 
we can't sit here and tell ourselves that, well, this event's more significant than that one. So, you know, obviously God is unpacking his judgment right now for us and we're all doomed. Well, unbelievers are doomed, but Christians aren't. So, so what then do these trumpets depict? First, they show God's judgment in the form of upheavals in nature in order to judge his enemies. In the battles that followed the conquest of Jericho, God fought against his enemies by assaults of nature. In the battle of the five kings, God rained hail on Israel's enemies so that more enemies died because of the hailstorms than with the sword, as Joshua 10 tells us. When the enemy army fled, the Lord caused the sun to stand still in the sky to provide extra daylight for Joshua's slaughter. In similar fashion, the trumpets, the four of them that we encounter in Revelation 8, depict plagues on nature by which God smites his enemies. So we start to unpack and understand that these things are merely symbols of what God has done already in the past, but we will not see them uh, locally. These aren't going to be meant for just groups of people, but this will be a global encompassing move on God's part. So this second scene of the end of times, we have these seven trumpets being blown. We've talked about the first four here in uh, chapters, in chapter eight, verses six through 13. So the sea becomes blood, and as we've talked about, the third uh, living creatures further invokes the Nile plague, right? We talked about how it throws back to the um, the Exodus, and we uh, can look at how God uses similar instances from that particular judgment, but now will happen on a global scale. That river turned to blood, but now... Uh, we will have it to where a third of all creatures in the waters will die. And, you know, it's kind of funny when, when Exodus 7, when, uh, when the Nile turns to blood, people still did not repent. There were still unbelievers there. And we will still have that now. You know, I mean... Could we say all of these events will happen right before le- or right leading up to uh, the the coming of Christ? It's possible. Like we could say that some of these events will happen very close to the skies cracking. And some of them, I think, are happening throughout history. And so, again, we have to kind of understand how these kind of how these kind of weigh themselves out. Uh, so. The first angel blows this trumpet and we have all of this chaos ensuing and we have these plagues essentially from nature falling upon earth. And as I'd mentioned, um, it really, they really do line up against Egypt. And I'm really, as I, as I'm looking at this, it really kind of makes me want to ponder how will this fall into a particular timeline? Um, because there's people nowadays that will say, well, this, you know, this water was blue yesterday. Now it's, you know, brown, red, or it looks like blood today. I, I don't think scientifically, and I use that word lightly, uh, we've discovered water actually being turned to blood yet. We haven't seen that yet. 
But we do understand that when this trumpet blast happens, that this will draw us back to this view of the Exodus. Again, there's really no time frame that's given in how this will be interpreted. Um, we don't see any, we, we can't say, again, you can't say that this has happened already, but it could, it, it will happen in the future. And so it, it kind of makes you think, okay, well, if we're going to take this second trumpet, can we line it up to one of the horsemen? Sure, because the horsemen, I think, have already been unleashed, and we're just waiting for these trumpets to happen. And, and again, we have to understand that time in heaven is not like time on earth. And so we are you know, waiting, I think, for some of these cataclysmic events to happen. But again, I, you know, I, 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 I'm not a Hebrew, you know, expert, nor am I a Greek expert, nor am I, you know, uh, an eschatol- eschatological expert. I mean, I'm, I'm simply just reading notes that I've compiled and trying to help us understand together, you and I. I've even mentioned on the show a few times that I've been reading something and I say, well, that just doesn't line up right. Let me let me look at it again. And then sure enough, during the middle of a show, I change my view because I've convinced myself otherwise. And I'm OK with that. And and reading these views, I think we can be OK with that. And sometimes we just we just don't really have answers on when these things will happen. And that's OK. That's OK. Uh, so then we get to the the mountain here uh this this wormwood right falling uh this great star fall, falling from heaven like blazing like a torch and it falls into the river uh and it's just springs of water so we have to understand there's a differentiation between uh the second trumpet and the third trumpet the second trumpet is the oceans or the large bodies of water um, the seas becoming blood and all the living, a third of the living creatures uh, die that are in that. Um, the third is the star falling into the rivers and streams. So a little bit different bodies of water. So a third of the waters become wormwood, and many of the people die from the water because it becomes bitter. Here, a star or flaming meteor falls into the sea. Um, but more into, not into the sea, I'm sorry, but more into the inward or inland waters. So to poison the streams and rivers, killing many people. The star shows heavenly origin as the catastrophe. It comes from God. Uh, the star's name re- uh, reveals its plague. Wormwood was a foul herb that made water undrinkable. Uh, and it associates itself with bitterness as Lamentations 3.15 tells us. Uh, this third plague also may allude to the fall of the world imperial powers through its connection in Isaiah 14. There God compared the Babylonian king to a fallen star. Like Satan before him, Nebuchadnezzar would seek to exalt himself above God, saying in his heart, above the stars of God, I will sit my throne on high and I will make myself like the most high, Isaiah 14 Verses 13 and 14. In judgment, God declares, you are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. And this point is that God judges idolatrous imperial pretensions, whether by Babylon, Rome, Nazi Germany, communist Russia, or the secularist America. 
Their idolatry is embedded is embittered because it pollutes the sources of life, such as marriage, the family, communities, and civil relationships. In this way, history records God as constantly judging idolatrous men, making bitter the lives of those who seek to raise themselves above God. Wormwood is a biblical catchphrase for its consequences of sin ruining all of life. God will... Uh, God spoke this way in Jeremiah about the spiritual consequences of the runaway sin. I will feed this people with bitter food and give them poisonous water to drink. Jeremiah nine fifteen. So I think that's an amazing depiction. If we were to maybe take this a step outside of a literal interpretation that literal meteors are going to fall and literally pollute water streams, that these quote-unquote meteors are fallen men that God is bringing them down and those who try to chase after that image of you know idolatry that they will assert themselves higher than God and we see that ever so present today in America we see that present around the world those who have declared themselves to be above God uh, they pollute the the constructed sources of life Marriage, family, communities, civil relationships. We have towns here in America that are burning. We have marriage and divorce rates at at an all-time high, abortion rates at an all-time high. I mean, for crying out loud, they want to indoctrinate kids as young as three and four into critical race theory and tell white people how bad they are for simply being white. You're going to talk about polluting the world. Here it is, right in front of you. Now, again, could this text be taken literally that a literal meteor or star for that matter, flaming star falls from heaven? Absolutely. It absolutely can be. Can we take this text and say that there's room for additional interpretation and that this potentially could represent the fallen idolatries of mankind? Absolutely. Could it mean both? Absolutely. There's so much, again, these Trumpet blasts have so much more depth and meaning if we were to examine them uh, and place them actually into the eyes of society. So the fourth trumpet speaks here of judgment in the sky that brings around darkness. The fourth angel blew his trumpet, and the third of the sun was struck, third of the moon, and third of the stars. Third of the light might be darkened, and the third of the day might be kept from shining, and likewise the third of the night. This fourth plague confirms that we are not to seek a literalistic fulfillment of these trumpets. Since the idea of only part of the sun or moon shining together with a part of the the day and night does just not make sense for his physical world. Some have sought to link this uh, plague with a great eclipse, but this is not what the fourth trumpet declares. Listen to this. Jeffrey Wilson writes that it should be obvious that John is painting a picture and not writing a treatise on uh, astronomy. The fourth point of the uh, the point of the fourth trumpet is that God's control over even the heavenly bodies so that he can bring the darkness of judgment on his enemies anywhere and at any time. Although God here places only a partial judgment on the sources of light, he warns mankind against a total darkness in the final judgment as sinners do not repent. Darkness describes the removal of God's blessing. It is the context of those living under sin's curse. This is why darkness is uh, described on the cross while 
Jesus bore the penalty of our sins. To fall under the curse of darkness is to be condemned from sin and to cut off from any blessing of God who is light. John 1, uh, 1 John 1, 5. So I think it pays to understand again as we've talked and we start to get to points that will help us look back and understand the text. We can surely say that these trumpet blasts may not potentially be literal and they shouldn't be taken literal. And if you do take them literal, that's okay. That's your hermeneutic. What I'm trying to get you to do is think critically and look at the landscape of how the world has moved in the last 2000 years. And, and I think when we look at this fourth trumpet, it helps us to understand that God is still sovereign and he is so sovereign that he could cut a third of everything and things will still be under his power. He could say, I'm only going to show you a third of the sun's light, a third of the moon's light. You're going to take, I'm going to take away a third of the stars and that's it. You know, deal with it. I mean, as we talked about earlier in, in the, from the text from Joshua, he stops the sun from, from setting. So that way Joshua and his armies could catch the enemy. If God can stop the sun from moving and the earth from moving, I don't see why he can't do this. But I think it tells us more things that not to take this text necessarily literal per se, but to look at it completely and say, okay, how do these events or how could these events really be catastrophes in of themselves? And I think if we were to look at, you know, the, the, the wormwood being kind of that idolatry, you know, asserting ourselves above God, you know, from the third trumpet blast, I think it helps us to understand that, you know, mankind is under the curse of sin and that we are all fallen creatures. So I think that helps us to understand these trumpet blasts. And again, you know, we could, we could spend all of the time in the world walking ourselves through this text. There is so much more here than what really leads on into us. And again, as I keep stressing to you, go and get other books, commentaries, um, you know, there's some fantastic books on the, on the book of Revelation, on John's apocalypse. There's great books that help us to understand our various positions, whatever that is, in, uh, from an eschatological perspective. Go and read them, you know, because I'm only walking through a couple sources. So trying to just read notes and, and help us to understand what it is that is uh, being said. Because there's a lot to it. And if we were to just read, again, a... Um, a study Bible, it's not going to give us deep context. Even if we were to read one particular line of some commentaries, we're not going to get the greater picture. So my advice is to continue your studying if you're just, you know, if you're stuck, because it is tough, dif- tough and difficult to work ourselves through. And I, and I hope that this series has helped you to start to at least understand the book of Revelation a little bit more. And, and I, it has helped me to see, see things in a greater picture. And I hope that you have been able to uh, follow along with me as we continue, you know, working ourselves through this text. I know it's an awful lot, um, but we are, we are continuing ourselves through it. I have offering it up to my Patreons um, to see if we do want to take a, a small break a couple weeks 
and that could potentially get uh, out for us in June, and we could see a couple of weeks where we just take a break um, from this, and then we'll dive back into it because uh, it is tough, and I don't want to, you know, I want to I want to keep the the uh, attention span for all of you going, so I want to. Uh, so that could be offered up to us very quickly. So, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to conclude today's show with that. Um, let me know what you think. If you like this show, share it and uh, leave us reviews on iTunes or Podbean or any of those other uh, fantastic hosting platforms or whatever you use to subscribe to us. Make sure you subscribe so you get notified when we drop episodes, which we do every Friday morning at 7 a.m. So you can expect... Another episode to drop next week at 7 a.m. Unless something really weird happens. But, you know, praise God I've been able to get these out consistently for the last year and a half. And uh, I hope to continue to do so going forward in the future. Guys, I am so blessed to have you listening. Again, if you want to join us on Patreon, you're more than welcome to for as low as a dollar a month. It gets you access to literally everything we do behind the scenes. With that, I'm going to go prep for my confirmation class tonight. And I hope you guys have a wonderful week. We will see you all next week. Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.